So we'll talk about evangelism again tonight. And last time we got together, I pointed out to you that most of the church doesn't know the Great Commission, nor do they do it or know what it means. I pointed out to you that you find the, the Great Commission in at least five places of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. At least five places we find the Great Commission. And I talked to you about uh, kind of what I would call street evangelism, or uh, it's more work evangelism for me. And it's just uh, having gospel-centered conversations with the people that you interact with. Uh, tonight, I want to do something a little bit different. Um, it's still going to be about sharing the gospel. It's still going to be about evangelism, which is just having a conversation with someone. You don't have to be scared of the word evangelism. It's just having a conversation with people. Tonight, we want to focus specifically on friends and family. That's way tougher to do than somebody you don't know that you're likely never going to see again. Um, when I spoke with uh, Dr. Tom Elliff, who was at one time the president of the IMB, he gave me just a few things when I asked him, if you, if you had this amount of time to teach, what would you teach people on? And his replies were pretty short, and they were pretty simple. And the first one was, you always need to direct the conversation to eternity. So no matter what, no matter who it is, and I say especially if it's somebody that you're not going to get the chance to see again, you always want to pull uh, that conversation to eternity. And uh, you, you want to leave them thinking about heaven, thinking about eternity, because there's more to eternity than heaven. But you want to leave them thinking about eternity whenever you leave them. And whenever you meet somebody for the first time, you want to make a good impression, right? You want to share what you can share with the gospel. You want to be thinking about how you can turn the conversation to that. But you leave impressions with people, whether you know it or not. So this one time, well, let me get my demonstration to show you. This, this one time... My wife uh, had met a new friend, if you will, at church, and they had been talking with one another, and th they decided that they wanted to go hang out. And it was in the wintertime, and uh, my wife's friend worked out of town, and uh, actually her husband worked out of town. And he was coming in town for the weekend, and they were uh, going to go up to Edmond, to a hotel, that had a swimming pool. It's wintertime. They invited us to come up, go swimming with them. So I meet this guy, really for the first time. I'd seen him at church, but I really didn't know him. And I met him. We hung out. Um, we chit-chat. We talk. Either way. The next time I see this guy, he brings me this. And he says, hey, I was down at Cabela's, and I seen this, and I just thought of you. And I thought, Lord... I did something way wrong if this guy sees a machete and thinks of me, okay? No lie. That's as random. It happened as random as I just described it to you there. I did not see that coming. 
And uh, I later found out that it wasn't necessarily me. It was him. He's just like that, all right? He'd just buy you things just either way. Um, I, I was finally okay with, no, I did share the gospel <laughs> with this guy. I did talk to him about Christ. Uh, I don't know where he came up with the machete thing, but either way. Uh, I want you to think about that and think about what you're leaving with people. What is the impression that they have on you or that you have on them, I should say. So I'll share another thing with you that Tom Elliff told me. This as a conversational piece as you're speaking. Um, as you're talking with them, maybe the conversation kind of goes flat, it kind of goes cold. Tom said uh, one of the things he likes to use is, have you made a, des a decision for Jesus, or are you still in the process? So I've asked a lot of, have you made a decision for Jesus? To get during the headlights look, stuff like this. But uh, this is why you talk with people who've walked the road before you. Um, or are you still in the process? That gets them to thinking, oh, okay, no, I haven't done that, but I am still in the process. What it does is it keeps the door open for you. It keeps the conversation going. And then another thing that he likes to do is ask, how can I pray for you? And that's something that we as a church and we as our staff pastors for sure and, and the guys that have been going out and knocking on doors with us, that's something that we've been asking people right there on their doorstep. And some of them will say yes, some of them will tell you, and then you pray with them. But here's what you find quite often. No, nope, I'm good. No, I'm good. Don't need any prayer. I'm good. Life is good. Tom's reply to this is, oh, okay. Well, would it be okay if I were to pray for you that you would have an encounter with Jesus so big that you would know it? And so I think all of us know what that means. But the one who's good, the one who's okay, I don't think they understand what that means. But he says almost every single time, they say, yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Go right ahead and pray for that. So I just wanted to uh, share just a few things that he shared with me and the processes that he goes through. Um, always leave people thinking about eternity. What I want to do now is share just a few scriptures with you um, that are reminders of how our attitude should be and how our perspective should be, um, maybe how even our approach should be at times. And uh, in Romans chapter 9, Verse 3, the Apostle Paul, he says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ, for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So did you understand what he just said right there? I could wish myself to hell for the sake of seeing my own family come to Christ. I want you to think for just a minute, when was the last time you had a gospel conversation with anybody in your family? Maybe none for some of us. Uh, maybe in last week for some of us. But, do you realize where people are going to go if we don't have these conversations with them? If they don't ever hear, they don't have a choice. It's already made up for them. Their destination, without even trying, that's where they go, hands down. 
find a quote here. Paul was willing to stay out of heaven for the sake of the saved and willing to go to hell for the lost. And they, they quote that out of uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. Um, let me remind, remind you of a, uh, a familiar story out of Luke chapter 16. And I'll, I'll read... There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment... He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, I want you to notice something, a few things about this particular story. A lot of people like to argue about whether it's a parable or not. I don't know if it's a parable or not. I know it's an actual story that Jesus told. He actually uses names in this story is why people argue that it's not a parable. A parable is sort of a, a made-up story to communicate a certain point. Scripture doesn't call this a parable for several different reasons. Here's what I want you to catch out of this. There are temporary things in life, and then there's eternal things in life. The poor man, he had it rough. That was temporary. The rich man had it good. That was temporary. Both of them died. And both of them went somewhere that was eternal. Though they went in opposite places, if you will. Now, this is what I notice more often. After someone has died, after something has happened, then we begin to realize the consequences of our actions. Or then we begin to think about what we might could have done instead of what we should have done. The rich man in torment, he wanted his torment to go away. He asked for that first. No, that's not going to happen. His next reaction was, guess what? My own family. They're going to be in this same exact place unless somebody goes to them and shares with them and tells them different. 
I want you to remember that when you get nervous about sharing the gospel, that's temporary. The consequence for the other person is eternal. Somebody makes you angry. Somebody says something that hurts you. All that's temporary. Where they're going to end up is eternal. Remember what I told you in the beginning? We've got to think about things of eternity and stop thinking so much about the temporal things. The picture that we're giving here in Luke 16 is just a small picture of hell. A small picture, very small aspect. Matter of fact, I looked up the word hell in the scriptures, and if you've got a modern translation, not the King James, if you have a modern translation, the only place you're going to find that's in the New Testament. The bulk of it is in Matthew, Mark, once in Luke, maybe once in Acts, in the book of James. H-E-L-L. The Greek word is Gehenna. Gehenna is the short form of an actual place, a physical place south of Jerusalem. It's called the Valley of Hinnom. So they took an Old Testament phrase and they shortened it with one word and they call it Gehenna. You and I don't picture Gehenna real well because, frankly, we're out of time with that culture. But this place, the Valley of Hinnom, was a place where children were sacrificed to the god of Molech. They would burn them as a sacrifice, like an animal, as a form of worship. This place became defiled because of that. And some other events where a bunch of dead bones were thrown bunch of uh, garbage was thrown. As a matter of fact, this place became the garbage dump during the time of Christ. And Jesus even refers to it a few times, not just when he's mentioning the word hell, but in Mark chapter 9, you'll find where the worm, matter of fact, it says where their worm never dies, or the fire. The fire and the worm never die. This place was continually on fire. They were continually throwing trash in it. People that were too poor to be buried were pitched in it. So you can imagine the smell of burning garbage, rotting flesh, worms, because that's where you find them, in the trash heap. This was a physical place that everybody in that region knew was associated with hell. I think we're a bit far removed from it, and we just don't get the picture like we ought to. Uh, been several years ago, but my wife and I were sent on a trip to Israel, and when we came to this place, it just made you sick if you knew what they actually did there. Just made you sick. Gave me a visual. I thought about it. it was this huge valley. It's not. It's more like a deep ravine, if you will. And it's not very far outside of the city. And by the city, we're just talking about the walled part of Jerusalem. This stench and this smell would have been there continually. 
most of our teaching we have from hell came straight from Jesus. This was the place that he referenced. So, this one time, I was at a funeral. One of our church members, his dad had passed away. And this particular church member hadn't been in church in a while. But I had known him most of my life. We were in between pastors. I went to go check on him and the family. Talked with him, found out what the funeral was. I went to the funeral. I listened to a guy preach his funeral who knew him very, very well. They went to dinner almost weekly. They were neighbors. They lived less than a mile away from one another. Had multiple conversations, multiple outings. I listened to this man, whom I knew to be a solid Christian. Solid Christian. Much longer than I've been alive. He stood up, and the only comfort he could offer to anybody in that room was I'm sure he was a Christian, but to tell you the truth, it never came up. It never came up. We never spoke about it. We never talked about it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Don't let that happen to you, please. tell you about a few conversations with family members. Um, we find in John, the first chapter, we find a couple of different examples. The first one I'll give you is Andrew, when he found Jesus, the first thing he did was go find his brother. Does anybody remember who his brother was? He's kind of important. Peter. So remember, it was actually his brother that told him about Christ. Look what he did in the church. Look how God used him. I think sometimes we focus too much on ourselves and not on the other people around us. Every now and then, the Lord is real good to remind me, this is bigger than you. Just do what I tell you to do. Andrew gets Peter, brings him to Christ, right? I was, uh, I don't remember, let's see, this has probably been 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer. My great-grandmother had passed away. She was over 100 years old. I didn't know her very well. I didn't know a whole lot about her, but I knew my grandmother, right? So when my great-grandmother passes away, I pick up the phone, and I call my grandmother to check on her and to see how she's doing. She's doing good, and uh, we get to talking. And one thing leads to another. I could say that, but I called with uh, intent. And I said, Grandma, you know, um, I hate that I'm only asking this now, but with death on the door there, um, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? She says, yes, honey, I do. And thank you for asking. And then went on to tell me about the previous preachers in my family, her dad being one of them, that I never knew about. Never knew there was any preachers in my family before me. Um, 
I had uh, my story's a little bit messed up, so don't try to follow it too close here. But I have, <laughs> I have a family here. I have a family here, and I have a family here. All right. I tracked down a grandmother that I had never met, never seen before, and uh, I called her on the phone, told her who I was. She freaked out. Um, we had a good conversation, talked a couple hours the first time, but I assure you we did not get off of the phone before I asked her if she knew the Lord. And she once again was very grateful that I asked and then went on to tell me about the previous preachers on that side of the family before I came along. Um, and I really, I had less than five conversations with her before she passed away. But she knew the Lord without a doubt. There'll be more conversations to come for sure. I had an uncle who had uh, pancreatitis, and his dad died of that very same thing. I was heading out of town. My mom calls me, says, your uncle's in the hospital. He's got pancreatitis. He's, it's not good. It's just not good. Went on uh, out of town, dropped my family off, turned right back around. I dropped him off with my brother. I didn't drop him off. Uh, <laughs> should probably clarify that, huh? Either way, dropped him off with my brother, turned around, went back, and uh, I was debating on when I should go, if I should drive straight to the hospital, I was getting in kind of late, or if I should wait and go in the morning, and I decided to wait and go in the morning, and you, you learn sometimes what divine appointments are, and so I got up the next morning, and uh, he and I had never had this conversation before, never not, not too much at all. So either way, I walk in, and I'm carrying my Bible with me, and I open the door, and my aunt has, uh, she has made his bed uh, her altar. And she was praying to God and said, please give me a sign. Is he going to live or is he going to die? And when she raised her head up, she seen me standing in the doorway, and she said that peace from above came and went all the way through her body, and she knew that everything was going to be all right at that point. Well, I sat down to visit with them, and I spoke with my uncle. I said, you know, I hate to, uh, I hate to ask this now, but uh, I have to. Um, where do you stand with God? Do you know the Lord? And he says, I do. I do. I'm all right, and uh, we begin to talk about these things. But um, there is no way I could not say something to them. There's no way I could I couldn't live with myself, knowing that I failed to share with my own family. I think of another time whenever uh, our church at the time things were just on fire. Things were going really, really well. And uh, my dad lived three miles down the road. And really, other than one or two times, I don't think he'd ever set foot in church, ever. So I went one day. It's the only time I can ever remember when I told somebody I'd be someplace and I didn't make it. There was such a burden on my heart to go and speak to my father. And so I sat down with him. And we began to talk about the Lord, and uh, I asked him if he was saved, and he's like, I don't know, 
don't worry about me. Uh, no, that's just not going to happen, all right? Um, <laughs> I'm going to worry about you. I'm going to pray for you until I know that you've come to know Christ as your Savior. And we sit down and had Bible study and uh, to, you know, for me, not for him, or maybe it was for him, not for me. I don't know, but we sit down, open the Word, walk through it, and he says, Son, yeah, I've done all those things. I've done all those things. No fruit. Knowing that he didn't know the Lord, I didn't leave him alone. I hounded him until he came to church. I told him the gospel many times. It wasn't something he did not know. But he couldn't grasp the concept of what we call getting saved, if you will. He asked for forgiveness, but he never made Jesus the Lord of his life. We were having a revival a man by the name of Ernie Perkins was preaching that revival. And he asked at the end, if you made a decision, if you were one of them ones that raised your hands and looked at me, I want you to come forward. We all stood up, and my dad and his wife both walked down that aisle. And they both stuck out their hand and shook his hand, which was the one sign that he asked for. If you prayed to receive Christ, if you meant that, I want you to just come down here and shake my hand. My dad was the first person I baptized. And I baptized him just a couple of days later at that last service during revival. I have watched the Lord work in my family, sometimes in spite of me. <laughs> You ever feel like that? So, I haven't always been a preacher. I haven't always been a Christian. And I certainly haven't always followed Christ. But I have gone through every member of my family with the gospel. I've had some of them tell me to leave and don't ever share that with me again. That was a temporary feeling. What they're going to experience is going to be eternal. And they did not reject me. They rejected him. But I hold to the scripture that faith comes by hearing, and that through the word of God. I just keep sharing the word of God with them. I don't even tell them I'm sharing it anymore. I just tell them what it says. Sometimes, oh, really? <laughs> it's not me, you know. I just share the word of God with them. I'll tell you about a friend of mine. Um, in, in John chapter 1, verse 45, we find a man named Philip who came to Christ. And the first thing he did was go get his buddy, his friend. Well, I have a uh, good friend of mine. We were, we were fishing buddies. And uh, probably most of the time when you're fishing buddies and you don't know the Lord, you're probably drinking buddies too. And that just happened to be the situation with us. And uh, there came a point in my life where I surrendered everything I had to God. I said, it's yours. You can do anything you want. Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Well, stop drinking, stop cussing, stop doing all the nonsense. And... All of these people in my life, my family members, my friends, they all watched all of this happen. 
He even had some of them say, what happened to you? That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> it's Jesus. That's what happened to me. Well, one day, I was, I was heading to go fishing. I, nobody to go with me. I was going by myself, and I hadn't been fishing with my old buddy in a long time. I mean, a long time. And I called him, said, hey, I'm headed to Longmire. Where are you at? And he said, I'm at the house. I said, get your poles ready. Picked him up, took him down to the lake. We launched. We're sitting out there fishing, and I asked him about the Lord. I said, uh, you been going to church? He said, no, not really. And he's got a very, very large family, and a lot of them go to church and are very solid Christians. So uh, either way, I asked him, you been going to church? He said, no. No, I haven't, but I've been thinking about it. And I said, do you know the Lord? He said, I don't. But I sure have been thinking about it a lot these days. I threw my fishing pole down, literally, and ran to the back of the boat. I said, there ain't any sense in us going any further until you do what you know needs to be done. He said, now, here? I said, yeah. <laughs> now, and here, he said, what do I do? I went over a few things with him. You believe this? Do you understand this? He says, I do. No, I have all of that. I have all of that. What do I need to do? I said, you just need to cry out to the Lord. You need to ask him to forgive you. You need to make him the Lord of your life and understand that that means you're going to follow him from this day forward. And he prayed right there in my boat on Lake Longmire. Prayed to receive Christ. Eyes got about that big around whenever he opened his eyes up. And he's like, that feels good. <laughs> Doesn't it now? Doesn't it? So... If you don't ever share, you can't ever get to that point. You can't ever get to that feel-good point. You can't ever get to the point to where you know they get it. And they understand it. I'm telling you, we're going to be held accountable for this. There's no getting out of it. He gave us one mission. A lot of ways to do it, but one mission. That is, go share the gospel with all of creation. Make disciples. You can't do that without sharing Christ. You just can't. We've got to be, uh, we'll call it relational, if you will. I know people are scared of the word evangelism, but you've got to be relational with people, especially your own family and I would I don't know if everybody's circumstances are like this but often you're closer to your buddies you're closer to your friends than you are your own family I'm telling you I hear it over and over and over in my mind again I don't know if he was a Christian it never came up that ought not to be just to quote James that ought not to be now, when it comes to witnessing to your family, I prefer one-on-one. -on -one. Every time, I prefer one-on-one. -on -one. You don't always get that. You get, you get a hindrance from a kid. Uh, distraction is a better word than a hindrance. You get distraction from the opinionated one in your family. Or maybe we're all opinionated. I'm not sure. But one-on-one -on -one seems to be far better uh, than groups, but I've got a couple examples here out of the book of Acts where 
It was groups. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, one of the one of the most exciting passages in the book of Acts. Had a vision sent after Peter. Peter was brought to the house. He didn't just sit there to listen to what Peter had to say. He went and got his whole family. He got everybody that worked for him. And they sat down and said, we are here to listen to what you have to say. That's one of those divine appointments that I was talking about a while ago. I find quite often, even as we knock on these doors out here, I find quite often those divine appointments where God has already been working on the people's hearts. We're just the messengers. That's all we have to do. Carry the message of God. That's it. That's what we have to be faithful to do. I would also point out that um, for my own household, other than my four-year-old, I've had the privilege of leading all of them to Christ, baptizing all of them, sitting down and opening up the word to them. So for someone who's been raised in church all their life, sometimes it's kind of tough to let them know that they're not a Christian. That's all they've ever known. They've been here. They read their Bible. You've read it to them. They come to church. They worship. Sometimes it's hard for them to understand that there's never been a point in their life where they have to do what the Scripture calls calling on the name of the Lord. And when they start asking to be baptized, but they've never made a decision for Christ, that is the perfect time to pull out the book of Acts and say, well, let's see here who's supposed to get baptized. Let's just see. Let's just start in chapter 2. Let's just walk a little ways in there. And I'm telling you, it's they see it and they get it. And sometimes they want to pray right then. Sometimes they want to think about it. And they come back later to you and say, no, I, like, I need to do that. I know that I need to do that. I haven't ever done that. I'm ready to do that. Will you help me? There's nothing better than watching your own family pray to receive Christ. There's nothing better. When you do this, whether it be a friend, whether it be a neighbor, family member, it causes you to want to do it more and more. Another thing I'll share with you from the last time, if you'll look through the scriptures, you'll find uh, evangelism is not a spiritual gift. It's not a spiritual gift. It's a skill that must be learned and practiced. So if you're saying I didn't get the gift of evangelism, no, you haven't started yet. You just haven't started yet. But it's something that's not difficult. And whatever uh, feelings you have, whether they're embarrassment, scared, that's temporary stuff. That'll go away. Keep your eyes on eternity. There's one other part evangelism and that's praying praying for the lost until this was pointed out to me in a book I don't know that I ever caught this but I pay attention to prayer requests whether it's Sunday school no matter what rarely if ever do I hear somebody name somebody that's lost, that we need to be praying for their salvation. This particular book I finished a couple of months ago on evangelism and creating an evangelistic culture in the church said, uh, with the statistics, hands down, 
churches that pray for the lost consistently, by name, literally, they had list baptized far more and far more consistently than churches that don't. We've got 10 minutes left. What I would like to do, group up, about 10, whatever, it could be bigger, it could be smaller, share names with your lost family members, your neighbors, and then one of you, or all of you, however many of you want to pray in each group, just pray over those names, but also pray for boldness. That's not something that we just have naturally. Pray for boldness. I looked up the word boldness in the scriptures. You find it in the book of Acts more so than you do anywhere else. Every time you see the word in the book of Acts, it has to do with evangelizing. It has to do with sharing the gospel. So, what I'd like you to do, group up, share some names of some people that you know that are lost. Pray over those names when you get done. We'll filter on out. Thank you for being here tonight. Please spend some time in prayer.